0: everybody and welcome to Socks on Tap. This is Tony Marchese. I am joined today by NWI Steve. It is a beautiful afternoon in Chicago. Steve, how you doing my friend? Hey Oton,
1: I am doing great man. I'm getting ready to watch Lucas Gelato, I mean Giolito pitch here on a nice gorgeous Sunday afternoon. We're getting dangerously close
0: to the season man. We are getting dangerously close Steve. It's finally warm enough out to be outside. I see people out. I see, uh, you know, people getting their garages ready. I'm getting my garage ready. I mean, you've been there a few times. We've watched a few Sox games in there. I mean, I think I got a few patio chairs that need to go back outside and, uh, you know, get the TVs all plugged back in and everything, but I might be doing that after we get off of this, uh, off of this show so that we can uh, watch some baseball in the garage and, and enjoy some beers out there. I can't wait, man. It, it's it's finally spring. Spring has sprung.
1: Yeah. And, and look, nothing says spring is here more than the beginning of a baseball season. And so, like you said, just being able to get together with everybody, sit, have some beers, watch the Sox.
0: I mean, what more can you really ask for at this point? You can't, Steve. And I, I was looking back through my through my phone photos the other day. And it was around this time last year when things started to warm up, and I got the garage ready. And I'm I'm just so excited, man! Like I'm I'm excited to watch meaningful baseball on a full schedule uh, and get things back to normal a little bit, Steve. I think we're we're actually going to see the ballpark this year, and I think that that's that's really cool considering where we were at this time last year.
1: I've been saying this for I don't know how many months now, and I know I'm not alone in echoing these sentiments here, there is nothing more that I am looking forward to doing with everything that has shut down and and the way the world has gone for, you know, we're coming up on the one year mark of the season being shut down. Um, there's nothing more that I'm looking forward to than being able to get back in that ballpark for the first time and be able to watch a live baseball game. It's amazing how Going to 30, 40 games every year consistently, when you have that year, when that is taken away from you, how much you miss that, how much you just miss the atmosphere, just the sights and the sounds of the ballpark, just being able to sit together with your buddies, have some beers, and watch a game. How much that can be a release from the stress that goes on on a day-to-day basis for people in everyday life, and to have that kind of pulled out from the rug underneath you, I mean, it hurt, man, and it, it was tough. and obviously there've been a lot of challenging things that have gone on in the last 12 months for people that greatly exceed not being able to go to a baseball game but I really feel like this is going to be a release for a lot of people and when we are allowed to get back in that ballpark man it's going to be a fucking party like you wouldn't believe
0: it absolutely will be and I think that this is just a good time of reflection I don't know about you but I, I've been reflecting back on on what this last year has has done, especially to sports. Um, and like you said, there was a lot of things um, that are so much more important than you know us being able to get into a ballpark, Steve. but for for people um, who are season ticket holders, who do go to the games religiously, and I think I would put both of us um, in this in this class here and everybody who's on this show. Um, you know, going to the baseball game, just just getting to lot B, just getting to, you know, settle into your seats and watch the White Sox play like that is that is almost like a church for me. Uh, and, and being able to see, uh, you know, good, positive news coming through that, you know, we'll be able to be back in those stands uh, is just music to my ears. Uh, every time I see another good step taken forward towards that. Uh, now there's been some, some recent news uh, this week that the White Sox and the Cubs are submitting uh, a plan to the city uh, to get everybody back into the ballpark safely. Steve, uh, when, when you read that, and and we're all in a holding pattern right here, uh, just general expectations. How do you think that this thing's going to shake out uh, in your mind uh, as we're getting back towards baseball season, opening day, um, you know, th- there's a lot of room for error here, but uh, how do you see this all playing out? I think it goes without saying, obviously, we're not going to
1: see full capacity here right out of the shoot. And I, I wouldn't anticipate seeing full capacity till probably some point around July would be my guess initially here. So if I had to handicap things, I would say that initially when fans are allowed and given access to the park again, uh, season ticket holders are certainly going to be given preferential treatment to that. So as far as how many even individual tickets are going to be available for the general public, I think it's going to be very limited early on. So and I think that's where you're really going to start to see maybe a section of the fan base really kind of look at, okay, are, is a season ticket plan, is this really going to be my best approach to be able to get myself access to the ballpark this year? Because no one really knows how this is all going to unfold. There is still so much uncertainty with it. And I think if you have that season ticket plan in hand there, you're at least giving yourself a little bit of certainty in these uncertain times, as they say.
0: Very true. Um, And that's, that's something that I think a lot of people have considered. I mean, just generally talking to White Sox fans over the last few weeks, I know a lot of people are trying to jump on season ticket plans um, and you know, I, I think that we would see that even if, uh, the, we were expecting full capacity right away, because I also think the socks are going to be a hot ticket to get in this town very quickly. So changing dynamics, uh, at the ballpark, it, it's going to be certainly interesting to see, uh, you know, how many people are going to be let in, uh, right out of the gate. And then, uh, where we are in like June, July, um, because I can't wait Steve to just, Hear the roar of the crowd uh, off of a home run, or you know, closing the ball game down, and just you know, parading down uh, the ramps out of the stadium, back out into lot B uh, with just a ton of people. I, I, I can't wait for that experience. I know you feel the same way. Uh, but as we get here, one topic that I really want to touch on today: we had a interesting study uh, come out this week. Um, and and you know exactly what I'm talking about here, Steve. We tweeted it out from Socks on Tap earlier um in the week. And that that study was uh fans who drink the most during the ball game. And the White Sox were at the top of the list. We as White Sox fans drink the most during a baseball game. I believe we came in at 4.2 drinks per game, which is somewhere near around $45 in Jerry's pocket per fan that comes through the gates. Um, I haven't seen anybody spin this on why we why are we not spending money when Jerry gets so much of our alcohol money uh, yet. But I'm I'm going to leave that one to you, Steve, to elaborate on. Uh, are you proud of this? Well, <sighs> that's a complicated question right there
1: with with a further complicated answer. I think the heavy beer consumption has obviously been driven heavily by the poor play over much of the last decade. And it's kind of been a scenario where you've needed the alcohol to kind of mask what your eyes have been seeing on the field. Now here, as we shift into 2021 coming off of a strong season in 2020, that's no longer going to be the case. And it's more so going to be beers of enjoyment versus beers of, you know, drowning your sorrows, so to speak. And look, obviously Beer revenue going into the pockets of a certain octogenarian of whom I will not name uh, is always something that will bother me a little bit because anytime Jerry Reinsdorf gets more money, there I said his name, anytime Jerry Reinsdorf gets any more money,
0: it pains me. You know, it, it 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 shouldn't pain you, Steve, because that that money will be spent as told to you by Rick Hahn at some point in time. I do agree that some of the uh you know, the beer drinking has been driven by the product on the field. You've had most of your diehard fans in the stadium over the last few years, uh, being the only ones who show up outside of, you know, people who are just looking for something to do on a Friday, Saturday, uh, maybe bring the family out, that type of thing. But, uh, yes, the product on the field has been uh, beer-worthy, let's let's put it that way. Um, you're not really worried about missing an inning of baseball to go up and grab that beer uh, or two uh, on your way back to the seat. Uh, I, I don't know – yeah, or 10. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but uh, going to a White Sox game during the rebuild was a little bit of a different experience for me, Steve. Uh, it was a little bit more relaxing in a sense because you got to focus a little bit more about – you know, just being there and the experience of being at the ballpark and conversing with fans—you um, know, just enjoying that—versus the actual on-the-field product. Like we, at, at the end of the day, I always want to see the White Sox win, but there, there really wasn't any pressure over the last few years, up until I'd say last year, for this team to be competing on a day-in, day-out basis. I would expect that going to a White Sox game over the next five years is going to look vastly different than going to a White Sox game over the previous five years?
1: No question about that. You know, to your point here, if you look at, you know, the second half of 2016 through the 2019 season, it was more so about focusing on individual players and trying to figure out what players were going to be part of this thing when it started to matter again. So, Going to see Lucas Giolito when he pitches. Going to see Ronaldo Lopez when he got called up. Going to see Michael Kopech, Dylan Cease, uh, Johan Mancada, and and Aloy when they, when they get called up initially here. So it was very individual centric versus team centric uh, during during that time frame, which was very difficult and and it sucked for lack of a better term here because you you were hoping that in the future. You're going to have meaningful games that you're actually going to be able to care again about the win-loss record. But you didn't know when that was going to come exactly. And I contrast that with the period from like 2005 to 2010. Yeah, there were a couple of dud seasons in there in 07 and 09. But that team during that window right there was always focused on trying to win. And you go back and I I think about that period, that 05-06 period there the park there was an electricity in there and the expectation of winning was something that was there on a night in and night out basis and to get back to that again that is something i just i can't wait to to be in that environment again and as Sonics fans we take a lot of shit from national people and from fans of other teams in this city but it is undeniable that when this team is good, there is an energy in that park, And I will challenge anybody to prove me wrong on that. And even, you know, isolated games during the course of, of the rebuild or, or this down period of time, the energy has been there in certain instances. I still think back to Moncada the first game when he got called up against the Dodgers, against and Maeda. I remember the standing ovation he got for his first at bat when he worked like a 10-pitch walk. There was an electricity in the ballpark that night, and it's going to be refreshing to have that electricity and that energy there on a consistent basis again here once people are allowed back in.
0: I absolutely agree. I think you you knocked that out of the park there, um, baseball reference. Uh, just. The, the the feeling of being at the games is going to be so different uh, when it comes to just expectations, what you're able to do in the ballpark. And I want to circle back. You said beers of celebration instead of beers trying to cover up the product of, of what we're witnessing on the field. Uh, I, I'm ready for those celebratory beers. I mean, there's nothing better than, uh, you know, just taking a swig of a beer after you watch Eloy Jimenez launch a home run over the fan deck. I mean, It's going to be good times here coming up um, for the White Sox. But, you know, one thing that we do here at Sox on Tap, and we do it very well, is we know how to pregame. We know how to drink in the lot. We know how to tailgate, Steve. Uh, You've witnessed this uh, before. uh, And uh, I know anybody who's listened to this show religiously has seen this happen uh, before, too, or has attended one of these things. Uh, We know how to do this before. That study that came out did not include pregame beer, Steve. Uh, if, if you include pregame beers in here, I think we're cooking with fire. I think the White Sox came in at like number three, if I remember correctly, if not number four on a different study that was, you know, people who are fans who drink the most before the game. And actually uh, the White Sox uh, had a little interesting note on there as well. Most likely not to make it into the ballpark because of pregame drinking. <laughs> It
1: is very hard to dispute that, and as someone that has traveled around to all but five ballparks across the country, I can tell you that the tailgate experience at 35th and Shields is one of the absolute best in the league, and the simple fact of the matter is there aren't a lot of ballparks, a lot of the modern-day ballparks that are around today that are conducive to a pregame tailgating environment. The one most notable one that I've been to would be Miller Park. I'm still calling it Miller Park up in Milwaukee. That is a fantastic setup for a a pregame tailgate, but the ballpark over there at 35th and Shields is ideal for this, and I tell you bad, Opening day, that first opening day tailgate, to me, that is a holiday as far as I'm concerned. That's the one day a year I always care about taking off from work because we're cracking that first fucking beer at eight o'clock in the morning. We're getting down to brass tacks and we're going to have ourselves a damn good time. And God, I need it.
0: <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing, if there's one thing about opening day, uh, Steve, it's just, it's, it's that sense of, uh, you know, it, eternal spring. And it's, it's just so great to get back to the ballpark, see people that you haven't seen in, uh, you know, six months over the course of the winter. Uh, Everybody's back. Hopefully you get, you know, some good weather, but I don't even think that the weather fucking matters to be completely honest with you, Steve, I've been at opening day and it's been snowing before and I've had just as good a time as if it's 60 degrees and the sun is shining. It is always a beautiful day for baseball on opening day there. Uh, and the tailgates, man, I mean, we, we've got uh, we've got a, a comment that just came in. I can smell it already. Just just the the fact that we are going to eventually get to a place right now uh, and it's coming soon where we are all back together in lot B uh, before a baseball game. Johnny Nani's, uh, you know, ballpark mix will be playing. Beers will be flowing. People will be happy. That is That is just, I mean, I get goosebumps just thinking about getting back to the ballpark and slamming beers with people I haven't seen in now over a year. So I'm excited as hell for that. I know you are too, Uh, but... You know, if I go back to that study, people who don't make it into the ball game because they, they were pregame drinking way too hard. I think there will at least be one contributor at ONTAP Sports that doesn't make it into the ballpark because they drank hard enough in, in Lot B before this game starts. I could see it happening. That, setting the over-under maybe at like one and a half contributors.
1: No question on that. First, I want to give a shout out to my man Dick the Knife. Too sweet, my man. Good to have you on here. Um you look you hit on a lot of key points right there and and one that i want to talk about here obviously and expand on a little bit is you mentioned that that first tailgate on opening day it doesn't matter what the weather is i've been to every home opener since 2008 and most of those have had pretty shitty weather there have been some good ones in there 2010 2012 come to mind um, you know 2018 you know come, comes to mind there have been years where we've had all four seasons in the same day before that game even starts. And like you talked about plenty of times where you've had 30 degree temperatures and snow, and it doesn't matter. People are there right away. People are lined up down 35th Street before the gates are even technically supposed to open several hours in advance. And they got those grills ready. As soon as you get in that lot, you pop that first beer and you and it and all of a sudden it's like you're home, you're laser focused. And it doesn't matter what the weather is because it's a
0: perfect day. You know, there's there's a few things in Chicago, Steve, that the, the rules don't apply to almost when when you when you feel that way. Uh, Saint Patrick's Day is the first one that comes to mind. The second one is Opening Day on the South Side. Pulaski Day, uh, is better, by the way, but whatever. Pla- yeah, well, I'll I'll give you some credit there. We did have an article on Antep Sportsnet about Pulaski Day the other day. Uh, I'm sure you fully endorsed that. I think Birkeland wrote it. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I just have to say, uh, when when it comes to partying in Chicago, when when the rules go out the window a little bit, the South Side Irish Parade and Opening Day tend to draw a lot of the same type of people. And I know the South Side Irish Parade isn't what it used to be. Uh, but it, th- those are the those are the two the two big events that I can point to um, in in Chicago where, you know, it's just acceptable for you to be publicly intoxicated. The only rules on opening days, there are no rules. Right. Exactly. So, Steve, we've talked a little bit about drinking. We've talked about Sox games. We've talked about some of the nostalgia. One thing I want to get into with you, I saw your Twitter handle change uh, just recently. Uh, to spring training over reactor and let, let's talk about this because you and I share a little bit of the same sense of humor when it comes to some online sarcasm mainly on twitter.com uh, but we've we've drawn out some really interesting reactions from people uh, you more than I have because I just haven't had the time to to do this and you you seem to have run with it uh, a little bit farther uh, I think my my biggest one was the uh, the first game of the season, uh, I tweeted something along the lines of uh, this, they would have won this game if James McCann was on the team still and was was playing catcher today. Uh, that one got some reaction. Uh, but let's let's talk about it for the people who are in here and the people who, who listen to this show. Maybe we'll save you some heartache. But let, let's get to the bottom of spring training overreactor, Steve. Well, you,
1: you touched on a couple of very salient points there. Um, I have been one that is known for sarcasm quite a bit, not just on Twitter, but in everyday life. Ask anybody that has known me for an extended period of time, and they will tell you that. That's just who I am. And we saw so much overreaction this winter to whatever the White Sox did, whether it was the hiring of Tony La Russa, to any of the roster decisions that were made, so much of it. And so what I basically wanted to do is I just kind of wanted to take a little jab at, at a lot of that stuff. And look, I was guilty of some of it, too. It happens. I'm human. Um, but there's always that small or maybe not even small, but there is that subsect of the fan base that looks at what they see in March in Arizona and thinks that it is a harbinger of what is to come during the course of the season. Now, there are certainly circumstances where you can watch things and make observations and, and say, okay, I think this is going to be a leading indicator of something that we could see from a performance standpoint for this team. But by and large, there is so much overreaction to what is seen on a day-in and day-out basis in Arizona. And so I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with it. And I, and I was you know talking very heavily up until the Sox won yesterday about the fact that Tony La Russa just hasn't instilled. TWTW in this team here. They they just they don't have that will to win. He was clearly the wrong hire, and Ethan Katz was a terrible hire. He was supposed to fix his pitching staff. And every time I tweet out something like this, there's always some crusty old guy, or or some like early twenties Gen Zer who takes it literally. And thinks that I'm serious about it. So now I have to go along with this bit. I have to play this thing out here till the end. I don't have a choice.
0: No, I don't think you do. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm curious to see if you continue this into the season. Cause it, it's, it's quite comical. Uh, and I think that there's, there's room there to uh, can continue to uh, uh, do that. And I'm, I'm getting some texts from buzz. Who's not on the show right now. He's blowing the phone up. Uh, but You know, the the fact that we get people to overreact also seems to just point to something, Steve, that there are people who actually fully believe some of the things that you're saying. There are people out there who actually believe that, like, you know, this to be true and that there are people who will go to war to fight that opinion. And I find that absolutely incredible uh, just throughout the, the, the entire Twitter sphere. Uh, that there's so so much polarizing viewpoints on this on this team right now. Uh, what the, you touched on uh, was was the Tony LaRusa and cats thing. Um, outside of the results so far and obviously the White sox won yesterday. outside of the results so far, uh, most of the the, the the media and the things that we've heard guys on the team say about Tony LaRusa have been uber positive um, which is, Not something that, you know, I think in particular White Sox Twitter really expected because you saw a lot of this over the offseason, Steve. You saw a lot of people condemning the hire, saying that it wasn't Rick. I mean, even Rick Hahn came out the other day and said, you know, Tony Arusa has exceeded my expectations in in what he's doing. You see the guys loose. I've seen videos uh, of the guys on the backfields and, you know, Lucas Giolito taking grounders and guys having competitions and, and just doing fun things. They seem very loose. The team overall, and, and maybe this is just the media spin on it. Maybe this is Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, paying Bob Nightingale to write positive things about the team. I don't know, but from what I've seen so far, looks like actual genuine reactions from the players, the statements that they're making, things have been positive. And, I I'll admit it. I was worried a little bit in the back of my mind that Tony La Russa might not be the best guy to lead these guys. Like that, that was a valid concern for people that Tony La Russa might be, you know, out of touch with today's baseball player. But from what I've seen so far in spring training, it seems like Tony La Russa is meshing well with this core. And uh the the people around it and the coaching staff and people seem to somewhat as of right now have bought into you know his methodologies, the way he he goes about his business. Uh, it, it seems good, at least on the surface. Now we haven't played a meaningful game yet. We don't know what this looks like if the team goes on a five-game losing streak and Tony LaRusso opens his mouth to the media. We we know that there's been some over talking in this organization before, and this all this whole PR spin could could go down the drain in a heartbeat. We know that. But from right now, I think things are are looking pretty good, and I, I think a little bit better than what people expected. Any any thoughts on that?
1: Agreed, one hundred percent. There was there was so much negative reaction surrounding the Larusa hire, and people saying, to your point, that he's not going to be able to connect with guys like Tim Anderson or or Lucas Giolito. It's just it's going to be a train wreck, and we haven't seen that. I mean, Tim has done multiple interviews. In, in the last couple of weeks here since he arrived in Arizona, just with glow, really glowing praise of, of Tony LaRusso. And he mentioned that he was very skeptical of of the new manager come, coming on board here and how they would interact with, with each other. And a lot of that has really been seemingly diffused. Now, obviously, this time of year, the length of spring training lends itself to an overflow of positive stories you never hear you hear very rarely about guys coming in in bad shape you know the the jesus monteros of of the world back when he was with the yankees uh seven or eight years ago those those types of stories are very few and far between you don't really hear things about guys not gelling collectively as a group you don't hear things about fights in the clubhouse for for the most part or about guys questioning a new manager that sort of stuff isn't really talked about a lot in, in the media at, the, at this time of year. But I think the, the abundance of the conversation and, and the positivity around Tony La Russa and the, and the new staff has something that has been very interesting to me to see. And it seems as though this is a very well-structured, well-laid-out camp to this point. And a lot of the guys are talking about that everything is being done with a purpose and with intent. And that is something that comes from, I, I think, the top. And obviously, the Russo being a guy that has managed and been in that dugout for over three decades there collectively um, across three different organizations. So this is a guy that knows how to put together a camp. So the, the changes that are happening here within, within the organization and the level of accountability that seems to be in place here right now is very positive to see from my perspective.
0: You talk about accountability, um, and that's, that's a word that has been a buzzword on this show for a long time. And I think in any Jerry Reinsdorf organization, uh, accountability is, a, is, is, is something that, uh, you know, as a fan, you want to focus on. Because if there's one person out there, Steve, that, like, you know, accountability goes out the window with, uh, and it's and it's honor your friends first. It's Jerry Reinsdorf. Like there, there, there is no arguments there across sports. Uh, you, you just see that time in and time again. Uh, but I, I like that. I like the fact that there is some accountability on this roster. I like that Tony La Russa is holding the players accountable. I like that Rick Hahn is impressed with what he's seen in camp so far. I like that you have leaders on this team come out and say like, you know, I'm really enjoying. Uh, you know, what I'm doing under Tony LaRusso. I think those, those are important things. We've seen some some different stuff. You got into an interesting conversation uh, with uh, Ozzie Jr. on Twitter about, uh, about Ricky uh, today. I don't know if you want to shed any light on that one, but uh, it's out there in, in the public if you want to go search it out. Uh, it, it's just a different mentality that this White Sox team is going to have. And sometimes just professionally in any organization, when you have the right leadership, Uh, things tend to work out a lot better. Uh, It might not be the guy that you wanted uh, hired in that situation. Uh, I'm going through this with the Blackhawks right now, Steve. Uh, I think Jeremy Colleton is an excellent leader for this core of Blackhawks players. Uh, And you see the team succeeding. They're a young team. They're succeeding. Do I prefer Joel Quenville over Jeremy Colleton? Absolutely, I do. Uh, But is the team buying in to uh, what's going on? And uh, yes, uh, there is a podcast on my rack hockey game. Here's a comment that just came in uh, from Showtime Stan. Uh, I'm watching the Blackhawks as we as we uh, as we talk right here live. But um, I, I don't. I, I would prefer J- Joel Quinville over Jeremy Colleton every day of the week. Is he the right guy to lead that specific team right now? I don't think so. Uh, this is the same kind of thing with Tony LaRusa. This might not be the popular hire. We might have have slandered him as, as a collective group uh from the get-go uh but is he going to be the guy that gets the most out of this team he might be we don't know that answer yet but it would not be surprising with the early signs that I've seen in camp and we're not taking any of the results from spring training into effect here or into account here but I think what he's done and and in some of the snippets that I've gotten I think Tony La Russa has a good handle on what he's doing here at Sox camp no question about that um Look, this is a guy that ranks
1: third all time in managerial wins, which I know some people want to kind of poke fun at that. And you know, look, he'll he'll get up to second at some point here uh, by by summertime. Um, he'll pass John McGraw for number two all time, behind only uh, Connie Mack, who you may know him by his birth name, Cornelius McGillicuddy, who managed the Philadelphia Athletics for 53 years while he owned the organization. Um, you know what? There's, there's nothing at this point in a baseball game that can happen that Tony La Russa hasn't seen at this juncture. And I think that that is something that is important. And I have some very strong opinions on Tony La Russa as a person. I think he's a fucking penis as a human being. I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. But the guy is a very accomplished, very successful major league manager. And I have very little doubt that this team is going to be successful with him leading them here in 2021 and beyond over the course of these next two to three seasons. Is that can to be the thing that ultimately pushes them over the hump to get past the Minnesota twins and control this division and be a serious, legitimate viable contender for a world series. I don't know, but it's not going to hurt. I, I can tell you definitively that there isn't going to be a circumstance where I feel like they're going to get overmanaged consistently. You know, there could be some tactical things here and there. I'm still concerned that he's going to have people bunting or, an hour, or that he's going to hit Adam Eaton second. Those are little minor things um, in, the grand, in the grand scheme of things, but he's not going to be outclassed the way Rick Renteria was in a number of circumstances. That was kind of one of the things I was poking fun at a little bit this morning uh, uh, that uh, Ozzy Jr. kind of jumped in on and he shared his own personal thoughts and and personal insights on it. And I'll leave that for everybody if they want to go over to my timeline to check that out because Jr.
0: had some very pointed thoughts. I'll say that he did. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think quick enough to uh, to get him on the show today. It would have been would have been a little interesting to hear him have those comments uh, live with you and, and carry out that discussion. Maybe we'll we'll schedule that for another time. But uh, interesting stuff. I think you you hit on a lot of good things here. Uh, Tony LaRusso will not be outclassed. Are there going to be times where we're on this show? Uh, questioning his decisions, absolutely. I think that that happens in every single sport with every single manager that's ever managed any competitive game of all time. If people are tuned in, they're gonna they're gonna criticize. They're going to watch it. Uh, but you talk about being outclassed. I think Tony La Russa, like you said, has seen everything uh, at this point. At least almost everything. Baseball's a weird sport. I wouldn't be surprised if we we run into something this year or over the next uh, course of a few years that we're all sitting here talking and saying, I've never even fucking thought that that could possibly happen. Uh, But for the most part, you've got a guy at the helm right now who's been there, done it, achieved it. And you've got a team of players who have not yet with a couple of guys who have. You're talking your Dallas Keuchels, your your leaders who've been there, been brought in as as, uh, free agent or acquisitions who've been there, who want that taste again. I I think you've got a pretty good recipe for success on the South side. Uh, Will they overtake the Twins this year? Who knows? Uh, But I, I think they've given themselves a pretty good chance to do so. And that's not to say that if we go back in time and hire Hinch, we wouldn't also be sitting here talking about, Yes, the White Sox are in a great position. We've got a guy here who who knows how to win and do all that. The Sox went out and they got their guy. It was Tony La Russa the whole time. I'm just, at this point, uh, the past is the past. We need to focus on the future here. And uh, I like what I see out of camp. I agree.
1: And... You talked about this earlier with the results not not really mattering here and looking at the record and the record not being particularly good to this point with them finally getting off the schneid and getting their first victory yesterday. And I was explaining this to my girlfriend yesterday or a couple days ago, and she said, oh, you know, they need to get their ass in gear and, and all this and that. And I told her, I said, look, they're losing games right now or not winning games because of guys that will not be in Chicago come April 1st. So from that perspective, the wins and losses they don't matter. You look at, you know, Bernardo Flores and and Souza and and some of these other relievers that they've been trotting out there to this point. These are guys that are not going to be of relevance or of consequence to the twenty twenty one White Sox. If they are, something has gone greatly wrong, and, and the season is really off the tracks at that point. But that's why the the record when it comes to the spring training games is so irrelevant in, in so many aspects. And I got a little chuckle and somebody pointed out to me that our favorite little twins blogger who just has this just interesting, interesting obsession with the white Sox, you know, made it, made a comment about, uh, you know, Oh, well, you know, the White Sox haven't won any spring training games yet, you know, ha ha ha, but they're more athletic. Well, you know, right on cue then they go out there and they they put it to the Indians yesterday here. And I know obviously the Indians were running out of B team there, but, uh, you know, Sox looked good uh, by all indications in that game yesterday here. And it's just you can't read too much into the record ultimately here in spring training. Uh, so I, or uh, until you get to maybe like the last seven to ten days and you really start seeing the regular lineups and, and the – regular complement of uh, pitching options are going to be available to you. Maybe then you can kind of start to hone in a little bit more and focus a little bit more on the outcomes.
0: I like the sentiment there Steve uh, before we we close this one down, let's talk a little bit about spring training so far um, any surprises that you've seen out of camp I know you 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 don't want to focus too much on the record and if we go back through this week we could we could probably spend an hour and a half dissecting some of these games and uh, and you know players that that probably will not make the roster but any surprises out of camp so far from you <sighs>
1: From a surprise standpoint, you know, not really. The one thing that I I feel I've had really reinforced in the limited action that we've been able to actually see with our eyes is the quality of Andrew Bonds at bats. And I know right now that is a lightning rod of an issue as far as whether or not he is going to be the opening day DH. But when you actually watch him there in the batter's box, there's a call to him. To his plate appearances, when when he's out there right now, he doesn't look overmatched. He doesn't look like a guy that is timid or scared. You you contrast that with a guy like Jake Berger, who has missed substantial time with injuries over the last couple of years, and like Vaughn has never played above Winston Salem to this point. And there's just a there's a noticeable difference in the quality of the plate appearances to this point. Vaughn just looks very relaxed and is really kind of seems like things are slowing down for him and he's just letting the plate appearances and the bats come to him almost the way a, a, a nine or 10 year veteran would. And, and that's been really interesting to see. And I say this as someone that has been very vocal about not wanting, and you want to be the opening day DH, but it's been, it's been nice to watch that and nice to kind of see that reinforced there, that quality plate approach.
0: No, absolutely, Steve. And I think you, you are very correct. When you say, will Andrew Vaughn be the opening day DH is, is such an issue. And I think it's something that we need to watch down the stretch. Um, You know, you're looking for that consistency from him. You're looking for, you're looking for him to have those quality plate appearances over and over and over again in order to, to achieve that. But we're also talking about a guy who hasn't taken a plate appearance at double A yet. So um, you know, you're looking to up and down this roster. Uh, if there's one thing that I wish the White Sox did, uh, it would be to go and sign DH. And I think this is the perfect time to say this because uh, I know Buzz is, has probably been waiting for it. He did I text me this. Going. He, he, you know exactly where we're going. Uh, exact quote from Buzz himself. Uh, I want this right on air. If Puig was starting in right, they would have won more than one damn game. So far in spring training, Uh, I'm going to take it a little bit different there and say, had they made one more acquisition uh, of, of a bat to, to kind of fill in at DH or maybe uh, play the field two to three times a week. I think we'd be in a lot better position than we are right now. Um, I know that as a white Sox fan, whoever that acquisition would have been probably would have faded into darkness and become like the laughing stock of uh, the White Sox Twitter, or White Sox fandom uh, over the next year because whoever they bring in that's supposed to hit home runs just inevitably stops hitting home runs. We've seen this with Yonder Alonso, we've seen Laroche, we've seen Dunn. We've we we we've, we've watched this movie before plenty of times, but um, I, I would feel a little bit more comfortable if you I don't know maybe exercise the option on. And uh, Edwin and Carnacion and picked him up this year and just had him around and if 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 May is looking really bleak, you cut ties and you bring Vaughn up but i I feel like right now, the one thing that pisses me off about the White Sox is that you talk about the D h role and you see LaRusa bringing up names like well, it might be Vaughn, it might be Burger, it might be sheets. I don't feel that a competitive team in the American League goes into a season with question marks in their DH spot, like at least have that thing filled. Like that should be a position of power in a hitter friendly ballpark on a team that's built to compete. And and I think that's where I'm at uh, with this is I don't want to see the carousel Steve throughout the year. I want at least one good option where you know that this guy's going to hit 25 plus home runs Uh, in the lineup every single day. And we've got plenty of guys uh, scattered throughout the, throughout this team that can fulfill that. But if you add somebody in into this lineup, who's dangerous, who's been there already, even on a decline, even on the decline uh, you still have Andrew Vaughn waiting in the wings. If you can get two months of, of really good double a baseball right now. Um, Showtime, Sam, Uh, asked, would you have spent money on Cruz? If you asked me that a few years ago, I was uh, vehemently opposed to signing Nelson Cruz because he's declining, uh, and and that was my reasoning behind it. There was no reason at the time for the White Sox to bring on a veteran when they were not competing uh, to take at-bats away from guys. I feel like this is kind of the inverse of that, Steve. We're, We're now in a position where we're competing and we're trying guys out, uh, who may or may not stick in the big leagues, who have no, uh, you know, long-term success playing at the major league level. Whereas, if you're a rebuilding team, like that's fine. Let's roll in to 2017 with guys like Gavin Sheets, Jake Berger, and Andrew Vaughn, uh, if they were around at the time, and kind of try it out and see if they can make it. Uh, I'd rather have, you know, somebody with the track record there that you could bring somebody up to fill in for if he was struggling and put him on a short leash. Uh, I just, I don't like the way that this was set up.
1: I don't disagree with that. And I know obviously the conversation that Buzz and I had with Dan Zemborski from Fangraphs uh, a couple weeks ago, that was actually a question that we talked about. And that was something that Dan mentioned that he really felt the Sox signing Nelson Cruz wouldn't have been a thing that would have given them more certainty on on the roster especially at that dh position and he think of a lot of the projection systems would have favored them heavily then over the twins at that point um so i definitely see that aspect of it here and your overarching point about the idea of having a more proven commodity um, in that dh slot there initially someone that if they ultimately don't succeed there, you give Andrew Vaughn a little bit of time of, of more seasoning down at the double-A, AA, triple-A level there against upper-level minor league pitching, which he hasn't seen to this point, I, I think there would have been tremendous value to that. And, you know, especially you look at a guy like Puig, and that was something that I actually kind of came around on a little bit there towards the end of this offseason, saying that I think it would make sense from the standpoint of, he he can be a DH. He can play right field. He actually has reverse splits where he hits right-handed pitching better than left-handed pitching, and he would give you a little bit of roster insulation with Adam Eaton and Aloy, given some of the adventures that he has out there, and I think that that, that would have made sense, but you look at it, we're now going on almost two years and no major league team has has made an offer to Yseo Puig. There's something there that we just don't know about, I think at this point, because if there wasn't some underlying issue there, I just find it hard to believe that we'd be going to a second consecutive season here where Puig does not have a home. At, at the major league level. So, um, I find that just very odd in a number of aspects. And my last point here that I want to make Duke, you're absolutely banned. You brought up his name again. We've talked about this. We're not speaking his name. Okay. I still have nightmares of him getting most of the DH at bats during the 2010 season, costing the Sox a division title. So you're in time out here,
0: banned and reported. I knew where you were going with that one. I, I'm, I'm glad we got that up on the screen. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the name. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just interesting to me because we've seen this White Sox team chase these left-handed power hitters uh, consistently, uh, or not even that, just, just DHs in general, um, over the course of like non-competing years. And to be going into what is arguably the uh, – Best team set up for success that the White Sox have had in such a long time. Uh, for them to be with question marks in that position is just concerning because there were so many options available. There's so many options that are actually still available. Uh, you bring up Puig, and I think that there's something there as well. But um, there's <coughs> there's just so many options available that it's 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 almost crazy that we haven't spent any money. And, you know, one of these guys to come in, I, I don't even think you have to spend that much. Uh, you're talking maybe, uh, you know, two, $3 million contract to get one of these guys to just play for a year. Um, you know, when they, when they haven't gotten money elsewhere, it just seems like an easy, uh, you know, non, like you don't even need to go to Jerry with this. You just bring somebody in uh, who can hit. And if they're, oh, you if they, need to go to
1: Jerry for everything at this point. Who are we getting here? Biblical I, I want to
0: know I want to know what the, what the spending limit that Rick Hahn has, that he, he is allowed to offer a contract to a player that does not need to be brought to Jerry. I want to know what that dollar value is. I don't know that said dollar value exists. So you think that everything, everything, you don't think Rick Hahn has like, okay, you're bringing this guy in under 10 million. I don't need to be bothered. This is an honest question.
1: In 2021, coming off of a pandemic season where you have all these teams saying they lost nine figures, I honestly think that you probably have to go to him to get sign-off for everything at at this point. Is that something that's going to continue into the future? I would hope not because if it does, if you have to go to – your owner for, you know, $3 million to get a utility player. What are we doing here?
0: I, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here. If that's, if that's the case, I, I would think that Rick Hahn would have some room to work. It seems like he does, but um, like you said, very limited when it comes to that. And I can understand the, the special circumstances of the year. Uh, I just thought that we'd have some, some backup, uh, at DH before we entered camp. Obviously we don't, we, we've got what we've got, and We're working with it. Um, you know, I, I can see a point where, uh, you know, you see some time for Jose Abreu there. You see maybe a day or two, uh, a week of Eloy Jimenez there. Uh, I know La Russa wants to keep him in the field. Uh, Andrew Vaughn will probably play DH at some point for the White Sox this season. Uh, but it, it could become a, a, there could be a point in the season, Steve, where if this team is hovering, uh, around near contention at the trade deadline, uh, it might not be a bad move to go and and, and try and pick somebody up uh, to just ride the rest of the year out if we're not getting what we need to get out of uh, Vaughn or whoever the, the solution is at that point in time. Um, Steve, one last thing that I want to get to before we close this one down. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez threw an impressive two innings yesterday. Um, any thoughts on Reynaldo Lopez in relation to what we talked about last time we were live together uh, with Reynaldo Lopez being that perfect two-inning guy. Uh, and let's talk a little bit pitching uh, just beyond that. There was also news uh, in the bullpen about Kopech starting there, uh, as well as Crochet and the development plans of those two players. Uh, let's start on Reynaldo Lopez, and we'll work our way into the bullpen.
1: So with Raylo in particular, it kind of struggles back to something I wrote a few weeks ago, with Ethan Katz coming in and some of the expectations that have been placed on him to be the quote unquote fixer for some guys like Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, Carlos Rodon, and even Michael Kopech to an extent because of the extended layoff that he's had. And it's, it's fascinating to watch Lopez and see if a different voice coming from, from Ethan Katz is something that is going to be able to unlock something in his performance that wasn't there previously. I talked about this, um, I think, with Buzz and and with some other people in, in the past that sometimes you just need a different voice that can conceptualize and can articulate a message differently than a coach that you're getting. And we saw this even with Lucas Giolito going out to Katz before um, he joined the organization instead of just working directly with Don Cooper. Sometimes someone can just explain something differently, make one little minor tweak that the person that sees you every day is just simply overlooking, and all of a sudden it gets unlocked. That could very well happen with Ronaldo Lopez, whether that happens as a starting pitcher or as a multi-inning reliever, which I think that ultimately is probably the avenue that he's going to go from a success standpoint here in in the major leagues, I, I think if he's able to do that, that is a huge win right there for the for the White Sox. In that, if you have another viable option that you can count on to get important outs, again, whether it's as a starting pitcher or as a reliever, there, that's extremely valuable, and that would add increased flexibility to a bullpen that I already think is just going to absolutely slay some people here in the 2021 season. And would give Tony La Russa another added weapon out there. And that's going to be another interesting development to
0: watch over these remaining three and a half weeks of camp. So who, do you, who are you going with Steve? Like let's, let's just clear this air up real quick. Who are your five starters on on this roster?
1: Uh, obviously, you got Lucas Gelato, who's thrown out two two solid innings here so far today against the Colorado Rockies. you got Diamond Dallas Keiko, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease in that number four spot. And I believe it's going to be Carlos Rodon in the number five spot. I think giving him a guaranteed $3 million to come back, um, I find it hard to believe that they would give him that money if there wasn't some sort of assurance that he was going to be given the opportunity to hold that number five spot in the rotation, at least to start the year. Now, how all of this is gonna play out over the course of the season is another question that really we can't answer right now because I, I fully expect that at some point, Michael Cope probably transitions into the starting rotation maybe like late june or early july maybe around the all-star break here assuming he comes back without issue from his extended layoff and i think that's the plan that they have in place here they're trying to limit his innings and and leave some bullets in the tank there for late in the season and into october um that's just kind of the way that i'm looking at that right now how that all plays out obviously remains to be seen because there isn't any significant commitment left to Carlos Rodon after the season. And Dylan Cease is a guy that does still have minor league options available to him. So if he struggles out of the chute, that's a guy that you could see go down to Charlotte to maybe continue to work and and maybe tweak some things. And if Rodon struggles, they're in a position where it's a low salary for one season. They can simply cut bait and move someone else into the rotation at that point. But I, I just think the four and five to start the year will be Cease and Rodon.
0: I actually agree with you. Uh, I thought once uh, Rodon was brought back, uh, that was a clear signal uh, that they trust him in that five role, Steve. Uh, And I think that he's going to be a very important piece of this ball club uh, and how he performs early out of the gate is going to have a significant impact on whether or not the White Sox try and hurry Michael Kopech into a starting position. Or if they go and try and make a move to acquire a starter at some point here. Uh, I'm not ruling out the fact that we might see uh, some other options internally be used first before that. Uh, I I think you might see, uh, uh, you know, just anybody come up out of AAA and, and make a start and keep Michael Kopech in the bullpen. Uh, before you see him fully transitioned into that role, and that'll be a topic that people are going to talk about this year. Uh, you know, why are we bringing up uh, you know Streever to make a, a, a spot start versus uh, just transitioning Kopech into that role uh, via one inju- one injury? Um, I think that that's going to be a, a talking point during the season. Uh, but, you know, the White Sox do have a plan, it seems like, with Michael Kopech, with Garrett Crochet uh, for the long term. And I think that one thing that we've learned about Rick Hahn over the course of uh, his tenure here is that when he has a plan, he tends to stick with it uh, long term and doesn't make those adjustments on the fly just because there's an outcry from the fan base to say, hey, why isn't Michael Kopech in that in that five spot or in that four spot right now? Yeah,
1: i i agree 100 percent with everything you said there tony um th- this seems to be their defined plan to start the 2021 season and they clearly are going to go with it and it's going to take significant underperformance for them to deviate from it and you know you you articulated that so well i don't really have anything further bad on the topic
0: <laughs> well thank you there steve that's about all I have for today. We're we're coming up on the hour. Uh there's some Blackhawks hockey to watch. There's some White Sox baseball to watch. I think we'll let everybody get to their afternoon activity, Steve, if, if they're on the live show. Uh thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you coming in and enjoying some White Sox talk with us on this fine afternoon here. Uh it's been uh it's been a pleasure, Steve. Uh you got any closing thoughts before we uh we shut this down and uh, get to uh, some some beer drinking and sports watching for the afternoon.
1: we got 25 days to the opener down in southern california against the angels here. Lucas Gilito's on the mound today looks looks real strong here so far. He's pumping the strike zone with consistency, so it's just it's going to be a good day. It's going to be in the 60s tomorrow and tuesday, just get out there and live life, man.
0: I can I can just say that I echo that completely. In, enjoy uh enjoy some baseball this afternoon uh this will be released as a podcast most likely for your monday morning commute uh steve like i said always a pleasure uh before i close this down be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs once again that's ontapsportsnet.com you can find us on twitter at ontapsportsnet on facebook youtube uh TikTok is a new one for us as well uh we're on there uh and you can find steve steve drop your handle it is nwi underscore steve and you can find me at tony on tap on twitter steve cheers man let's enjoy the rest of this beautiful afternoon uh and uh let's go white Sox. white Sox for life